I'm Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. Today, we're talking with CrossFit legend Jason Kalipa. The 35-year-old made eight appearances in the CrossFit Games, topping the podium as the fittest man on earth in 2008. But he believes that being a competitor is a lifestyle and that everyone has it in them. He founded NC Fit in 2008 to change the way elite athletes and normal people alike think about fitness. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. I have been a CrossFitter since 2008, so I'm super excited to get to include a CrossFit athlete as the elite athletes in this podcast, not just the mainstream people. I love that because I know how hard you guys work. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm in. We could talk about whatever you want to talk about. So, I think that the world knows you as a CrossFit athlete, but nobody over the age of 30 got their introduction to athletics through CrossFit. So can you just give us a little rundown on your athletic background? Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, as a kid, obviously I played soccer, did that kind of stuff. And then I was introduced to BMX bike racing. And so that's a very non-traditional sport. And I raced at a very competitive high level for a long time from up until I was 15, 16. And then once I got to high school or about 15, I then found football and that kind of took me in a different direction. But I raced BMX bikes for a lot of years, which actually, you know, it's funny, I don't talk about the BMX stuff that much, but there's a lot of lessons learned from BMX racing because I don't know if you've ever seen this before, Mm -hmm. but you're on like this gate and you have eight other or seven other cyclists with you. And it's pretty nerve wracking because it's a solo sport. And so that carried over well to later on in life when I would compete in CrossFit because I was also an individual sport. Whereas in high school, um, I didn't end up playing in college for a couple of reasons. Football is a team sport, obviously. And I also do through the shot and track and field. So that's kind of like that background. Then I got into Muay Thai, I got into bodybuilding, and then I found CrossFit. So it's interesting, the BMX thing, I actually covered the 2008 Olympics in Beijing where BMX oh, yeah. cycling made its debut. And yeah, I remember Johnny interviewing Robinson. a lot of those cyclists like ahead of that and then getting to see it and thinking it was like totally nuts because you bump into each other and all that stuff. And the bikes, like I've, I've been a road cyclist for a long time. You know, they're smaller. The wheelbase isn't so big. And to get it going fast, you got to work really hard. So that's very impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really cool to see that it made it as an Olympic sport. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, I did that from, uh, like I said, up until about 15. And then, um, at that point I had a few injuries. I had a bunch of stuff go on. So pivoted out of that, but there's a lot of lessons learned, especially like being on the gate and the, the nervousness, the anxiousness that's mm-hmm. created. And then if you hesitate for one second, you're going to be in the back of the pack and you already lost. So that first initial step is so important. So you got to be, your head has to be in the right mindset which is true for a lot of things, especially things like competing in the CrossFit Games at 3-2-1-Go, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing about CrossFit Games is, I mean, there's a, some events. Like I competed in this one. It was a Camp Pendleton. Um, it was a triathlon. And then there was a Camp Pendleton obstacle course. Mm-hmm. And that was very similar because when this obstacle course was very short, and if you hesitated for one second, you basically lost. That was very similar to racing BMX bikes is because as soon as you hesitate, you already were in the back of the pack or you lost your momentum. Whereas other competitions in CrossFit, some of those were a little bit different where you had more time to make up, you could pace it more. But uh, sometimes it was a sprint and you got to be all in. I actually was at that obstacle course in Camp Pendleton too, because I did sidelines for the 2012 CrossFit Games for ESPN. Oh my gosh. So I totally remember that too. <laughs> that was such a tough event, you know, because you finished this triathlon. That was, it was a 10 mile swam, then you biked. Those were pretty straightforward. 
And then you ran and the run was so long. I don't know. Do you remember how wrecked people were coming off that run? Yes. And it was, I was just watching. It was hot as blazes that day. Like I had a bucket hat and I kept dumping it into the cooler that had the water in it to get ice in it and put it back on my head. And I wasn't even doing anything. That's a really interesting time in CrossFit. I finished the event and I was just literally just broken. I laid there for a while and then you just kind of stomach the nerve to just get back up again and go do the next event. But that obstacle course was really intimidating because that was one of those examples where like you could not hesitate because you had to, I mean, if you wanted to win, you had just full throttle. So that was a, I'm glad you were there. That's cool. That's crazy. Did you begin CrossFit? Like, had you started working out in like a Globo gym and then you found CrossFit? How did you come to it? Yeah. So I started working at a conventional gym when I was pretty young. I was working the front desk. And then once I was in high school, I'd worked on the weekends when I wasn't playing sports. And then in college is when I was introduced to CrossFit. So it was like 2006. I was introduced to CrossFit while working at the conventional gym. So at that point, I'd been introduced to Muay Thai. So I got pretty heavily into that and just some traditional bodybuilding. And then I found this idea of kind of AMRAPs, EMONs, and a coach. Did you have any kind of an Olympic lifting background before that? I didn't, not before okay. I, I got into CrossFit. So learning the lifts was really one of the, and that's probably one of the reasons why I love jujitsu so much now is because when I was first introduced to CrossFit, there was so much technique and there was so, it was very exciting because you would want to refine these tools like uh, muscle-ups and snatches and whatnot. And when you saw the progression, right, with more weight or whatever it was, it was very inspiring. And I feel that same thing in jujitsu now because of doing fitness for so long, this is like the next kind of iteration of learning new techniques, which has been fun. That's cool. When you were competing in CrossFit, what did your daily workout schedule look like? Yeah. I mean, so I competed for close to a decade, right? And I was really fortunate to kind of see the progression of the sport. In the beginning, you know, you can get away with one workout a day that was really hard. And as time went on, the demands of the sport increased. So you would go from having a morning session of cardio, which I still do a lot of this now, but not at the same intensity, is like a 20, 30-minute hard cardio session in the morning. Midday would be more of your traditional CrossFit, couplets, triplets, chippers, heavy weight lifting combined with gymnastics, et cetera. And then the evening would be more stamina building. So the evening would be more, I wanted to get better at pull-ups, for example. Well, let me do 200 strict pull-ups at night before dinner or handstand push-ups or whatever it was. So I would probably segment it more times than not like that while adding in. So as the season went on, you would adjust your training. So when the open was there, you would know what style of workouts you would need to do. When regionals came, there was a different style of workouts. And then when games came, you would spend more time like in the ocean, you would do more longer events. It would just depend on what event you were training for. I'm sure back then you identified your strengths and weaknesses and you spend time working on those weaknesses, like 200 pull-ups strict sounds awful. I did 50 this morning and I don't want to do any more. I'm done. <laughs> what were the exercises that you love to hate? The ones that you knew you had to work on, but it was terrible. Yeah. I mean like deficit handstand pushups. So I don't know if you've <laughs> done some of those, but I mean, strict deficit handstand pushups are really difficult because you're in a really compromised position. You're super deep. And then probably like a high volume muscle ups, right? Anything that was like primarily body weight at high volumes became difficult for me because I was at the heavier ish end of the athletes. So I needed to train more of that. So that was my typical regimen. Like, I mean, I would, I would do that every day, a different style, whether it was 400 air squats right before dinner, it was all about volume and stamina versus like conditioning and strength. It was just about 
muscle stamina. So think about that as doing, let's just say, uh, push-ups to failure, right? It's not that hard, but it develops this level of kind of like muscular stamina. And then I would do that prior to basically meals every night. So I'd come in and my wife would never be very happy with me. (laughs) What was your weight when you were training for the games and what is it now? I tried different weights. What I found was like my go-to was somewhere around like 208. Right now, I weighed myself yesterday. I'm 212. My body's just a little bit different. I think I'm a little, if I had to you know, call myself out, probably a little less dense. I probably have a little less muscle mass and weight and probably a little bit more fat, but not too different than when I was competing. So I was probably the heaviest in 08, 09. And then as the sport evolved, I recognized I had to kind of fluctuate my weight. The gold standard, I'd say in CrossFit, for height and weight would for men is probably somewhere around like five nine five eight five nine somewhere around 190 pounds because it carries over well into gymnastics while also carrying over well in the weightlifting so you were never going to be 190 pounds how did you make up for that well so i tried to get below 200 for a little bit i went strict paleo i've gone strict zone i've done strict I mean, I've done a lot of different diets. The way you make up for that is that you train your deficiencies, right? So I spent a lot of time on the track, spent a lot of time doing long distance endurance events, and then combine that with gymnastics movements. So because I was a little bit heavier, it benefited me for more of like the grunt work style workouts, but it hurt me for more of the gymnastics style. So just finding that blend, that's all. As you've gotten older now, I mean, 35 is not that old, but you're not competing anymore. Are there any of those movements that you just decided like are not awesome for your body? Like I have a slap tear in my left shoulder, my labrum snatches heavy, not the best thing. I just, it's not necessary. So I kind of don't do it. Is there anything that you've kind of given up? Yeah. I mean, you got to just figure, you know, your goals ebb and flow, right? They adjust. And so before I was trying to be the fittest person on earth right now, I'm just trying to be as physically fit as I can be to help me in jujitsu, to help me in life, to allow me to keep up with my kids. My priorities have shifted. So whereas before I would train movements that maybe I didn't like or whatnot, because I thought they might come up, I don't worry about that as much. It's like, for example, if I never do another pistol again, I'm fine with that. Because pistols just for so many years, they would strain my knees, but I would do them because they were part of the sport. Or to your point, like heavy squat snatches. I don't do them as often as I used to. If I do them, I'll do them at lighter loads just to work the position. But it's just a difference in the goals and the mindset. I think anybody who's getting into fitness needs to say, hey, you know, am I trying to be the fittest on earth and win the CrossFit Games? Well, then I need to treat it like a professional athlete, like a sport. Whereas if I'm just trying to get fit, you probably don't need to do heavy squat Mm -hmm. snatches and pistols. It's funny. I love pistols. And I think really? they're like, yeah, it's funny. I When I was traveling a lot, working for ESPN Magazine, it was the easiest thing to do in a hotel room and be oh, super efficient and work your whole body, do pistols oh, and push-ups. And great. I started to love them. I don't know. I, and I feel like now it's like, I like to maintain the range of motion. I mean, I don't think they're fun, but I'm pretty good at them. They're all right. Yeah, you probably have better ankle flexibility than I do for sure. Or you have better <laughs> range of motion than I do because yeah, just, maybe. yeah. I had to wear like, extra, extra Oli shoes to get in a good position. (laughs) What are your fitness goals now? So I have two kids and I have a 10-year-old and a seven-year-old. And my seven-year-old is very active. My 10-year-old loves to go do things as well. And so the goal is to never allow fitness to inhibit those things they want to go do, right? So if my son's like, hey, let's go play baseball, I don't have to worry about it. If they want to go swim or bike or run, I never have to worry about, do I have the energy to do this? And do I have the capability? And you know, it's funny, like maybe at, so I'm 35, I started training really hard 
for since I was like 20. But now that I'm seeing other people like in my kids' classes, their parents, I start realizing just how beneficial it is to work on your fitness to never allow it to inhibit you. Because there are some parents we run into who won't do certain activities because maybe they don't feel as comfortable doing it. You know, even going on a very steep hike, the kids want to do it, but you don't feel comfortable going back down because your knees or whatever. That's a blessing that I've been given through all this fitness stuff. And I want to keep it going for the rest of my life. Do you have any goals as far as like jujitsu is concerned? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the last time I competed, I guess you would call it professionally because I mean, and CrossFit was in. So I competed professionally through 2015. I went back again for 2019. It was called the Rogue Invitational. That was a legends event. So I don't know, that was a little bit different, but that was, I really trained hard for that. That was exciting. And now I'm training for what they call master's worlds for jujitsu. So what that is, is in jujitsu, they have adult and they have master. It's kind of similar to CrossFit a little bit. And so I'm competing in November. Cool. That's, that's awesome. What's your workout schedule now? I'm assuming not three times a day when you're chasing two kids around. Yes. I mean, I'll, I'll just give you like yesterday I did 30 minutes on the bike in the morning, hard. Then I went back and did like a couplet, which is like a front squats and pushups later on in the day. Today, like I told you earlier, I was, I did a little workout with my daughter and then I did jujitsu. I will, after we're off the phone, go do something real quick, like 20, 30 minutes. And I'm going to the track with a friend later on today. So where it's a little bit different now is that I won't create like three hour segments to train. It'll be like a short burst in the morning, maybe a short burst in the afternoon. And then if I'm doing jujitsu a little bit longer, because I need more time with technique. So my training volume has reduced the amount of hours I train has reduced, but I still train every single day. And I follow, you know, I take our classes. I do our, so we haven't, like I was telling you earlier, we have our new NC fit app. And so I basically use our NC fit app for my workouts. That's cool. How important is it to you to involve your kids in some of these activities? You said you worked out with your daughter this morning. Yeah, very. I mean, it's, it's a non-negotiable for us every day. Our children need to sweat at least once. However they want to do that, they could go do anything they want. They could jump on the trampoline. They could work out in the garage. They could go do some type of sport that they're playing or do PE. That's up to them. But at least at some point, there needs to be a little drip of sweat somewhere um, (laughs) that they're just staying active. They're moving. Um, I think that's really important. And then we, as parents, my wife and I, we support that by doing it with them a lot. You mentioned the app earlier. So you have NC Fit now is the app. You had a CrossFit gym years ago. You had a bunch of locations after that. You developed this app. It's designed for people of all ages and fitness levels. You're doing the workouts yourself. What's the philosophy behind that training? Yeah, so NC Fit originally was NorCal Cross. We then pivoted it into NC Fit. This is years ago. Mm -hmm. To be more indicative of what we offered. So we had corporate wellness locations. We had brick and mortar locations. We had a digital model for gym owners where we have all these gym owners around the world who use our programs because we give them kind of guardrails for their coaches to follow. So session plans, timelines, warmups, all that kind of stuff. So we've had that for a long time. But we, we really never created this app for the end user as well as it should have been. And so we just launched the new version today, actually. And what it is, is it's our opportunity. So we've learned a lot in the trenches. So we've owned NC Fit since 2008. And in 13 years, coaching thousands and thousands of athletes in classes, we've learned a lot. But we can't improve someone's fitness in Texas because we don't have a location there right now, for example. So how do we scale what we're doing in our brick and mortars to as many people around the world was kind of the theory. 
And that's why the app came around to be. And so we have on-demand so people can follow along. We have daily workout options. It has integrated music with uh, Fit Radio. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Mm-hmm. But I believe it's the best functional training app on the market. And it's only going to get better. So that's exciting. When you talk about functional training, what are the exercises that you think everybody, be it an elite athlete or a normal person or a dad, what are the exercises everyone should be able to do? I think everybody should be able to get down to the ground and stand back up again, right? I think everybody should be able to squat and stand back up again and put something over their head. At a high level, those are like important. So if you fall to the ground, you have to get back up again, that's really important. If you need to sit on a toilet and get back up again, that's really important. And then if you need to put something on a shelf or lift overhead, that's important. So type of movements that I think have great carryover from in the gym to outside the gym would be things like burpees. I think they have have a good value to them, primarily because it teaches people to get comfortable going down and up. Obviously, some type of squat and if you could, even like a thruster, so that would be like a squat and then you would press overhead, super beneficial. So when I think about movements that we incorporate in our training is we want to think about movements that move a large load or a load of some type, a really long distance, and you could do it quickly. So a burpee is really hard or a thruster is really hard because you're moving a big load a long distance. Whereas like a calf raise or a shoulder shrug, they're not bad. They're just not as practical in nature because they're looking more at like, hey, how do I engage my traps versus how do I do some type of function? So we focus more on the function of what you're trying to perform versus the muscle you're trying to incorporate. You're not going to put the star on top of the Christmas tree with just a calf raise. <laughs> you know, that, that, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a big part of it. So yeah, but, but when I, that's what I think about. I, I think every single day, every person every week should be pulling from the floor, pressing overhead and squatting at some high level. And doing that with some type of load, even if it's just a backpack or whatnot, because then we can continue to develop this muscle, you know, and bone density, et cetera. Do you advocate a certain type of diet for the folks who follow your app for NCFit? Good question. We have that. We have a charter that we go off of, but at a high level, we just focus on consistency in the gym and consistency with your nutrition. I think it's really important when you think about nutrition, it's eating real food and removing sugar is a great first step. So if you can remove the soda, if you can remove like these really like sugar in general, right? Like high levels of sugar, that's a great place to start. And then balancing your macronutrients is the next step, right? Are you getting kind of like this protein, fat, and carbohydrate, at least real food? And then you start messing with intermittent fasting, keto diet, paleo. But at a high level, if you can't even follow along with just consistently eating real food and avoiding processed sugars, we should start there before anything else. What was your diet like when you were competing? You mentioned that you bounced back and forth between a variety of diets. So like I said, I've used a bunch of different ones from zone, paleo, you name it. I would say the ones worked the best for me is just trying to eat real food and then listening to my body and how I was feeling because I was having such a high volume. Even today, I trained pretty high volume compared to most people to get the caloric intake I needed. I wouldn't be as strict. So I wasn't eating just broccoli and chicken breast when I was training for six hours a day, right? I needed to consume some higher levels of carbohydrates and for me, at least, when I was competing, there was so much mental stress to be as well as I could perform that I couldn't tackle that along with also having the stress of eating perfectly. So mm-hmm. I kind of had to pick and choose my battles. And I would recommend that for anybody is that if a great step in the right direction is being consistent with walking or training, great. Then if you could layer on things over time, that's great. But once you get to a breaking point and you just want to give up completely, you got to kind of take a step back. And so for me, I never wanted to be the guy who showed up to a party and brought my own food, right? And I was, because that was just too strict, too much. I would burn out. 
So instead, I focused more on the workouts and I allowed nutrition to kind of play backseat. And that worked for me. But other people were able to do both, but I wasn't. What do you do now? I basically do what I was just saying, like eat real food. Yeah. You know, I, I have been messing a lot with intermittent fasting. So right now it's nine o'clock on the West Coast. Probably won't have my first thing to eat until probably around 12. And then I try and close that window at like seven. I've been messing around with it, but and I've been messing around with like a ton of hydration. And actually lately I've been messing around with turmeric a lot for anti-inflammatory. So those have been a few things I've been testing for myself. It's funny. I, I've been an accidental intermittent faster since I was a little kid because I couldn't go to hockey practice with food in my stomach because I would throw up on the ice. And I've never worked out in the morning with food in my stomach. What do you tell the people who say, no, I have to have a full breakfast before I work out? So that's a good question too. I think that you don't is the answer I'd say, because I just got done with jujitsu and I, mm-hmm. I didn't have a full stomach. But at the same time, you have to be really hyper aware of how you feel from a blood sugar perspective. So where I've seen things go wrong the most in our gyms, whether it's in our gyms, corporate wellness locations, is when someone just had some coffee or like a pre-workout, had nothing else to eat, and they come in, they're dehydrated, and they start freaking out. And so my recommendation for people when they're first getting started in fitness is probably before they work out, have some type of snack. I think that's a great place to start. Maybe it's just a little bit of peanut butter, honey on a graham crackers or, or on a cracker or whatever, but it's something basic. And then over time, you get to learn your body and get to learn how you feel and you can start removing that. But like I said, the most challenging times I've seen people in our gyms is when their blood sugar starts to drop. They didn't, for whatever reason, there's so many variety of reasons and they start feeling faint and it gets really scary. So yeah. I would say, no, you don't have to eat. But if you're not comfortable training, you should probably have something until you start getting more comfortable and they don't need it. There's plenty of people who don't. Did you have a go-to pre-competition meal? Yeah, that's why I brought up that peanut butter. So my go-to for a long time was this Perfect Foods bar. I don't know if you've ever had one or just peanut butter with some honey, mainly just peanut butter and honey. And then sometimes on, on like wheat bread or whatever. And maybe I just told myself this, but I felt like the sugar from the honey gave me like an instant energy spike. That's what I told myself. I feel like the fat from the peanut butter gave me like sustained energy. And I feel like the carbohydrates from the bread were like later on energy. I don't know, but that was my go-to, especially when you're competing at high levels throughout the entire day. You can't have like full meals. Like if you're training events, six of them in a day, you can't have like a full sit down chicken meal. It's just too Mm -hmm. filling. Did you happen to see that perfect bar just came out with a new coconut dark chocolate chip flavor? It is fantastic. No. So I've I've had their coconut and I've had their chocolate chip. Yep. I haven't had that together. Mix them together and it is all kinds of something wonderful. Oh, yes. Those bars are so addicting, especially if you have those with coffee. Oh, it's exactly. I do that for lunch a lot. Oh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they're great. They're so good. So I was checking out your Instagram and your wife, Ashley's Instagram. She and I share some of the same Trader Joe's food loves. I love the cauliflower thins and the jicama wraps. So I was wondering who does most of the cooking in your house? My wife does. And (laughs) yeah, the jicama wraps and yeah, it's the Trader Joe's. My wife, she mainly cooks um, throughout the duration of the week. And then I do a lot of like barbecuing type stuff. And I'll mess around with like a paellas and like other like outdoor cooking, but primarily she definitely cooks for the, the whole week. And something we've actually found really helpful for anybody who's a, a parent out there is what she's been doing every week now is getting like those whole chickens from Costco or wherever and creating a chicken salad. And it lasts the whole week. 
and it's really good for like the kids' lunches. It's really good for a quick snack. And so that's been helping us just have like something that's like moderately healthy, I guess, like a nice protein source readily available in the kitchen at all times. How do you get your kids to eat real food and veggies? You see so many kids who are just eating pizza and chicken fingers. You know, for us, it's a non-issue. And I guess maybe it's because the way they're raised, maybe we're just lucky, but it's, it's a non-issue. They're, they're not afraid of flavor. They want flavor. They've never been the kids who are going to go on the menu. And maybe it's because we encouraged it where they ate off the regular menu the whole time instead of the kid's menu because the kid's menu is so just, it's really pretty sad, most kids' menus. But I also think we're lucky. There's a lot of people who try and raise their kids that way with different flavors, introducing them, and they just get turned off to it and they just want pasta with butter. So I don't know. I think it's a combination of both. <laughs> I want to ask you, so when you were starting in CrossFit with, with the games in 2008, you're working out three times a day. What did you learn about recovery and how did you do it back then as compared to how you do it now that we have all these new recovery modalities? Yeah. I mean, back then, yeah, I think you're totally right. There wasn't as much readily available. So you would just try and listen to your body. We probably overtrained a lot. I think in hindsight, if I look back on it, if I had trained a little bit less and trained a little bit smarter, I actually probably could have gotten a little bit better results. I was just so addicted to just thinking more was better when maybe I should have taken a step back is something I hindsight's 2020. But back then, you know, it was ice baths. It was deep tissue work. A lot of deep tissue work was chiropractic work. And those type of things was really popular. I didn't really mess as much with like supplementation. Now, what I'm working on is I'm trying to hydrate a lot more, be really, really focused and aware of that. Because I find that as I get older, that's a huge issue for me. And then adding in the turmeric last couple of weeks has been huge for my like joint pain. So that's been good. How much water are we talking? I imagine probably a gallon a day, but it's hard for me to track. I mean, like right now I have like this Yeti cup and this is just the one I have at my desk right now. But I try and just consume large amounts of water, especially right in the morning. So the first thing I'll do is I'll take one of these big cups and I'll pound like one or two of them right in the morning. I find that's a great way for me to kind of jumpstart the system and just kind of get it out of the way early. And then throughout the duration of the day, I try and consume more and more and more, mainly also because I love coffee. So I want to not get dehydrated from it. Are there any of the new recovery methods that you've kind of latched onto that have improved your quality of life? I mean, I've tried a lot of stuff. So you have the stem stuff, you have the Theraguns, you have the Normatic, like the Normatec, like leg compressions. Those are pretty cool. I'd say no. I think the hot and cold is great, but I need to get back in the mindset for it. So cold plunges are awesome. Sauna is great. Sauna is a lot easier than the cold plunge just because it takes a little bit less of like kind of like that grit. But as far as like new stuff, not really. I, I don't really mess around with that that much of it. I just try and listen to my body and train smart. What about sleep? I sleep. Yeah, I try and sleep. So <laughs> you try and sleep sometimes once or yeah. twice a week. You take a nap. <laughs> I mean, for me, because of my lifestyle, right? So we have our businesses. We have many locations in different countries. We have employees all over the world. We have, you know, I have two kids. I have a family and I train hard. And so because of those kind of stressors on me, I traditionally, as soon as I hit the bed, I'm asleep. And it's a blessing because I work out so hard throughout the day. I never feel like sleep is an issue. I feel like I sleep consistently. So I try and go to bed by like 10 and I wake up probably like, I don't know, 545. That's pretty good. Do you mess with any of like the sleep wearables that give you a grade? No, I don't. I've tried the whoop. I've tried different stuff. A buddy of mine is trying to get me to, to put tape over my mouth. Have you heard of this? Yeah, where you have to make sure you're breathing through your nose. It sounds yeah, terrifying to me. It, you know, I haven't done it yet. And it just, he's saying, basically, he's like, hey, do you sleep through the night without having to maybe wake up in the night to go to the restroom? I said, well, 
sometimes, but most of the time I have to get up one time and go to use a restroom. He goes, well, your organs are at, are still at a state of kind of like action because you're breathing through your mouth too much. They're not at this rested state. They think they're at kind of like a flight or flight mode. He's saying if you wear the tape and you only nasal breathe, your body really starts to kind of slow down a ton and it could help your like deep getting into those deeper sleep patterns. That's his theory. I haven't tried it yet. I've heard that it de- breathing in and out your nose, even if you're just having like an anxiety moment during the day, does greatly reduce your cortisol levels. But I also think that waking up in the middle of the night with tape over my mouth might really stress me out oh. and then increase my cortisol levels. I think you're totally right. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the nasal breathing is really interesting. So I was running on the track two days ago. I'm actually going to the track later on today. Mm. And I'm running with a friend of mine. I'm trying to help him get his mile time down. So we're running. I'm listening to him breathe. <sighs> And, you know, I had running coaches for a lot of years. And it's just so funny if every, when you start to feel yourself really getting this level of anxiousness, just kind of a big shrug, release the shrug. And then just this deep nasal breathing, especially when you're running was really helpful for me on the track. So for anybody who kind of starts to get a little anxious running, a good reminder that I tell myself all the time is that you could breathe anytime you want when you're running, which is really Mm -hmm. cool. Whereas when you're swimming, you can't do the same thing. So the rhythm is very important. But there's no excuse not to be in a good rhythm while you're running because you're allowed to breathe whenever you want, which was something that was pretty profound for me to improve my game. I think that people, as their heart rate elevates, they just get a little stressed out and they think they have to gulp air through their mouths as opposed to kind of keeping like a nice cadence. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It'd be like (laughs) when you're swimming and you don't take good breathing strokes and then all of a sudden your heart rate spikes and you start freaking out. It's very hard to recover from that. But if you try and never let it spike, it's in a much more advantageous position. Are there any other supplements you can't live without aside from your turmeric? And I don't even know if I'd say turmeric I can't live without, but Mm -hmm. if you consider coffee a supplement, then coffee. But aside from that, no, I I don't really mess around. I want to start different greens. I've tried different things in the past, but for me, this turmeric in particular has been the only thing that I've really felt like so far has really reduced my inflammation. Like I could actually feel it when I'm walking up and down the stairs on my knees and Mm -hmm. things like that. But no, there's nothing else at this point that I can say. How are you taking the turmeric? It's just like pill form. Oh, in capsules. Okay. In capsules. Yeah. Like curcumin. Yeah. Curcumin. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So how can everybody find you and NC Fit on social media? How do we follow along? It's just Jason Klepa. Primarily, Instagram is a great resource for me. You can go to iTunes and download our new NC Fit app if they want to do our workouts. Comes with like a nice little trial. You can check it out, see if it's what you want to do. If you're interested in doing functional training, um, you can just visit nc.fit online or on Instagram. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah, you can cool. find us all over the place. And yeah, we'd love to have people engage with us and talk workouts and whatever they want to do. Cool. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing this. This is super fun. Like I said, I love to talk to the CrossFitters and I'm 43. I'm older than you, but like old CrossFitters unite. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, It's kind of fun. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Thanks so much to Jason for joining us today. If you'd like to check out NC Fit, visit the website at nc.fit and download the app. You can also follow both NC Fit and Jason Kalipa on Instagram. Next time on Food of the Gods, we'll talk with IndyCar driver Alex Pillow, who at just 24 years old has already won two races in 2021 and leads the series in points. Pillow, who was born and raised outside of Barcelona, Spain, drives the number 10 NTT Data Honda for Chip Ganassi Racing, where his teammates include legendary drivers Scott Dixon, Jimmy Johnson, and Tony Kanaan. 
Until then, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.